Jesus has risen. Uh, he's alive. That's what Easter Sunday is about. It is a wonderful time of, of celebrating the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, if you're with us here for the first time today, great to have you here. Welcome. We really hope you feel welcome. And uh, I think we're going to have some... Oh, look at that. I can see the table from here. We are going to have some morning tea. My goodness. Looks awesome. Um, so please hang around. Uh, if, you don't, if you're a regular here and you spot someone that you don't know, this is the rules we're going to do. We're going to walk up to them and say, Hi. I'm, don't use Graham because it's my name, but use someone, use your own name. Introduce yourself to people who you don't know, please, and make them feel welcome. Friends, um, and as, as you can see, we've got our kids in today, so if you're not normally uh, with us, as new to you, we normally have a kids program, but today, Easter Sunday, celebration, family in together, good stuff. Okay, let's pray for us as we open God's word. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus. We thank you today, especially that Jesus has risen. Lord, we pray that today we would, uh, we would celebrate this and remember what it means. Um, Lord, thank you that you are God who gives life. Uh, and uh, we pray that you'd help us to listen well, help me to speak clearly. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was late in the afternoon. Let me... Uh, well, there we go. That's, that's ready to go there. It was late in the afternoon on Sunset Beach in Dubai. So if you don't know, that's where Michelle and I and the kids have had spent the last three years. Sunset Beach is the only spot in Dubai that really gets uh, some swells, some waves. So I'm a keen surfer, as you know. Um, it's really the only beach that's public and it's not owned by an international hotel chain. So uh, now here's me surfing it there. It's, it, it, that picture is taken from the water. Um, that's the best I could do, really. That's all we've got, isn't it, Wes? But that's a bit sad. But there is the Burj Al Arab. So the beach is just b- below that. And, uh, and that's, that's, that I promise that is me. Um, well, that's what Wes took the photo. So I presume it's me, it's me Wes. Yeah. It's easy, good. <laughs> so on this particular afternoon, not on this one actually, but another particular afternoon, it was very, very crowded. Uh, people were everywhere. There was tourists, there was locals. There were people from all, all parts of the globe. Um, Russians, many of them, uh, never, enough with, never enough clothes on, unfortunately. Um, it was windy, and therefore in Dubai, that means that there's some surf. Now, it's not big by Australian standards, but big enough to, to get people into trouble. Now, the tricky thing with understanding surf is that, uh, and something we might take for granted, is that where it looks safest is often actually where it's most dangerous. See, that's where the rip is. Let me explain if you don't know this, but that's where the water is being taken out. And so that's where it's deepest. The water's got to go somewhere. It's going back out to the ocean again. And where it's deepest, that's where the waves don't break. And so for anyone without this sort of knowledge... They see it, and that's the best place to swim. So, as my eldest Wes and I got ready to head out and go for a surf, standing at the, sh- at the shoreline, we said a quick prayer and thanks for the waves, and we noticed this rip. Now, for us, we're thinking, that's great. Uh, a rip for a surfer is fantastic. It's like a conveyor belt out to the back. It's a free ride. In this rip, however, were two young Indian nationals, and they were in some trouble. They were scratching, they were what people call, they were climbing the ladder. This sort of trying to get some breath. Uh, they were not coping and they were quickly making their way across to Iran. 
really they were going under. And in a matter of seconds, that would have been it. Now, in Dubai, really, there's not many lifeguards. And what lifeguards are there, to be honest, I don't think I'd really trust them that much. I think my children would be better swimmers than the lifeguards. My children are good swimmers anyway. Uh, so, I, what do we do? Well, Wes and I stood there and, well, we jumped in. I said to Wes, I'll take that one, and he took that one. Well, we bundled them onto our boards and we paddled them in. They were, they were super thankful. Uh, they were calling us heroes, saving their lives and so on. To be honest, you know, it felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We saved the life. It was all right. Um, and then they jumped back in the water at the same spot we pulled them out. <laughs> anyway, but it did make me think, though, it did make me think that those saving lives, if you watch a bit of Bondi Rescue, say, uh, you call them heroes if you want to, moments like this, at very worst, such rescues are resuscitation, aren't they? You're saved, you're brought back to life again, as you were, which is great, there's no doubt it's great, but I'm wondering... When it comes to life and death, I'm wondering, is resuscitation really what I need? Is that, is that really what I need? Perhaps, just perhaps there's something bigger in life than that. So here's the big claim of Easter. The big claim of Easter is that Jesus brings new life. Jesus brings eternal life, not resuscitation. Jesus brings resurrection. Let's listen to the words of Jesus then. John 11, verse 25 says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's a big claim. If you and I said that, people would go, loopy. That's a big claim. What about, what about this one? Here's one you might actually know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. These are some big claims that Jesus says. How can Jesus say that? How can Jesus make these sort of claims about himself and really they're claims about us as well, aren't they? They're claims about life and death. They're claims that say there's more to life than just living and dying. Well, the answer is what is found in this weekend. The answer is what Easter is really all about. See, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. We read a moment ago from Luke 24 of how the women who first visited the tomb were frightened by the two men at its entrance. They were astounded. I don't know if that's the right word, to be honest. They were probably a bit confused by what they saw. The body of Jesus is meant to be there. It's no longer there. The tomb is empty. Let's pause for a minute. Press the pause button. Let's have a little tangent. It's easy to miss something here as we think about these claims of Jesus and how on earth Jesus can back them up. We'll get back to that in a minute. But let's just ask a question. Well, make a comment, really. Women were recorded 
in the Bible as the first witnesses of the empty tomb. I've just read it before. Now, in the first century, if you wanted a reliable account and witness to an event, I hate to say it, you don't choose women. It's pretty awful, isn't it? But that was the truth. It's stupid, but that was the truth. Women weren't the first witnesses you would call if you wanted to back something up. That's just the way it was. So we could ask this question then. If you wanted to make up a lie about a man rising from the dead, why would you add that women were the first witnesses? Why would you do that? See, in Jewish society, this would have only worsened the outrageous claim that a man had risen from the dead. Unless, of course, it was true that that's what happened. And the gospel writers just recorded it as that because that's what happened. Okay, so back then to Luke 24. Luke 24 verses 5 to 8. Let's have a read of it here. It says, In their fright, this is these women, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you why he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So then, then these women hurried back to the other disciples. And I don't know if you can imagine the scene then, but the other disciples didn't believe them. They had to look for themselves. Peter runs back and so on. It's true, the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. The grave clothes were left lying where Jesus lay. Hold on, well then, come on. Perhaps, perhaps they went to the wrong tomb. That's, that's why. That's why the tomb was empty and so that's what the women are grappling with right now. That's what the disciples are grappling with. Perhaps they, all, perhaps they went to the wrong tomb. But could so many people end up going to the wrong tomb? You've got the women, you've got the disciples and the Roman guards too. Matthew tells us a Roman guard was placed at this tomb. And surely if it was the wrong tomb, perhaps someone at some point would say, <coughs> excuse me, that's the right tomb. He's just over there. Calm down. That's... See, and if it was the wrong tomb, surely the real body of Jesus would have been made public for all to see. History makes it very clear that the Jews did not want uh, Jesus alive. They were the ones who crucified him. And the Romans certainly didn't. They didn't want some sort of uh, competition with Caesar. They didn't want him alive. Or maybe Jesus himself, the disciples were thinking at this point, maybe Jesus himself um, rolled the stone away and had escaped. That's why the tomb's empty. And, and he didn't really die. He, he was resuscitated. Maybe that's it. But I tell you that the officials at crucifixions don't get it wrong. Now, they don't make those mistakes. There's a centurion who, his job at the, 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 uh, the actual crucifixion is to get it right, is to make sure the guy up on the cross there is dead. That's his job. Now, if he doesn't get his job, there's a guy called a, a, a Jewish historian called Flavius Josephus. Don't you wish you were called that? Um, he, he's, he wrote at about, about a generation, about 50 to, to 100 years, maybe a little after that, he wrote about um, the, that time of the first century. And he wrote about Jesus. But he also wrote about centurions 
and their jobs. And he tells us that the centurion's role is to make sure the guy is dead. And if he doesn't do that, then he himself is in a whole lot of trouble. So they don't make those mistakes. And we know too that some guards were posted at the tomb because Jesus was seen as a threat. Himself, the disciples were seen as a threat, rightly or wrongly. So are we really going to believe that Jesus himself, after being whipped and beaten and, and, and all that he went through, rolled this stone away and then took on these guards with some ninja moves, who knows, um, and took them out after being all that happened? It gets hard to believe, doesn't it? Then what happened? This is what Peter's asking in verse 12. He says, uh, wondering to himself, that's last words, what had happened? What's going on? This tomb is empty. Where's the body? Jesus is meant to be dead. He's meant to be there. Where's the body gone, he's thinking. It, it, I read a story recently about a man who woke up one day. He was absolutely convinced that he had died in the night, this man. Now, at breakfast then, he got up and he ate nothing. He just sat there moping around. Oh, I'm dead, I'm dead. At first, his friends and family thought he was just playing a joke. But as days passed, they realised that he really did believe he was dead. So his wife eventually took him to a well-known psychiatrist, hoping that he would be able to cure this strange condition. Hours of therapy passed, no change. Then in desperation, the psychiatrist had one last idea. He got out his medical textbooks and turned to the pages on death. And he showed the patient one clear, simple fact of the medical world. And that is that dead people do not bleed. So after very carefully reading these pages himself and weighing up the evidence, the patient finally agreed. He said, OK, yes, I believe you. I agree. Dead people do not bleed. Well, immediately the psychiatrist pulled out a small pin and jabbed him into the arm. Blood sprayed everywhere. In utter amazement, the patient looked at his bleeding arm and declared, well, what do you know? Dead people do bleed after all. <laughs> See, this is what Peter's dealing with this right now. He's, Jesus is dead. He, I saw him. He was dead. I, I, saw, I was there. I saw him. He was put in the tomb. Where's the body gone? What... What is happening, he says. This is the confusion that Peter is dealing with. See, they, dead bodies don't walk off by themselves. Okay, perhaps someone stole the body, he says to himself, but, uh, well, it wouldn't be us. It wouldn't be the disciples. Not a chance. Why would we? We're not going to risk what Jesus just went through. In fact, many of the disciples died for the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. People don't just die for what they know is a lie. Okay, so maybe the Romans or the Jews stole the body, Peter's thinking. But what, why would they steal the body? Christianity ended up exploding over the next weeks and months and years, uh, taking off. More and more people began following Jesus. If Jesus' body was stolen by the Jews or the Romans, well, they could have certainly produced the body and said, there's the body. Christianity is dead. But of course, the truth is, the truth is what the two men at the entrance to the tomb told the women. Jesus 
is alive. Jesus is risen. So let's now go back to our question a few moments ago. Do you remember what the question was? How can Jesus say that he gives life? How can Jesus make those claims? How can Jesus say if we believe in him, then, then we have eternal life? How can he say that? Because he's alive. That's how he can say that. He's resurrected. He's with God now in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God now. And for you and for me, friends, that is really good news. That is great news. It means that the resurrection is the guarantee. The resurrection is a guarantee. Do you know what a guarantee is? Uh, for example, I guarantee that this next picture will make you laugh. <laughs> All right, some of you didn't laugh. That didn't work. Come on. <laughs> I think that's really funny. I love cat photos. They're awesome. Now, all right, I'm going to move on. There we go. Better guarantee is the resurrection. The resurrection is the guarantee of what you ask. Well, the resurrection guarantees that heaven is real, that eternal life is real, that life beyond the grave is real, that there is more to life than just living and dying. That's what the resurrection guarantees. Not resuscitation, but resurrection, just like Jesus. You see, the, the resurrection guarantees two things if we believe in him. First, the resurrection guarantees that Jesus really is all that he said he is. That's what the resurrection guarantees. All that he said he is, Jesus is. Jesus is God's son. The resurrection is proof of that. This is what Romans 1, uh, 1-4 says. Paul says, is uh, the start of this letter to the church at Rome, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly nature was a descendant of David. Now, this is a bit hard to read. Sorry about that. I hope you can read it. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. How? In power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus really is who he said he is by his resurrection. He really is God's son. Second, that Jesus really saves. That what he did on the cross in dying for our sin really worked. That's what the resurrection guarantees, that it really worked. Now, you've met two of Michelle's friends, only one, as it turns out, that's okay. I'm going to introduce you to another, of my, another friend of mine. Um, this friend is really keen to show you something he's really keen to show you well, he's really keen to show you his superpowers actually as it turns out I don't know if you've heard of him um, I must admit I hadn't heard of him before we organized this introduction but his name is spam man here he comes now here is Good morning, Graham Thomas. Good morning, Spam Man. I am the protector of the mystery meat. And any way you slice it, I am super. That is fantastic. Spam Man, do you always walk in with music wherever you go? Absolutely, don't yes. you? No, I don't. Oh, you no. should. So, Spam Man, I, I, I love what you're wearing. Thank you. And I, I don't mind Spam as well, actually. It's very tasty. But Spam Man, I was just telling my friends here what 
Well, I, I, was, I was saying what you can, you've got superpowers that you can I'll do things. I certainly do. Well, I think we'd all like to know what your superpowers are. Oh, of course. And well, I, I can fry. You can fry? <laughs> yes, I can fry. What do you fry? Oh, well... Spam. Isn't, isn't it obvious? Oh, yeah. Wherever I sense blandness and too many vegetables, I take my secret weapon and fry it up and fling it into action. Wow. Which, by the way, means I've become quite good at tennis. Really? Ah. So, Spam Man, you, you can... I've got to make sure I say Spam Man, not Spam Man. Mm. That would be bad, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. my wife. That's, that's, that's your wife. <laughs> spam Man. Spam Man. Yes, yeah. She has a secret identity, though. She's lovely. Yeah, accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so, Spam Man, what other powers do you have? What, what well, can I, you do? I can leap tuna cans in a single bound. You can leap tuna cans? Yes, I, I can see through glass. You can see through glass. Yes, you can't. No, I can. Oh, oh, oh that one's seeing through glass right now, actually. Oh. <laughs> oh well, I can fry. You can fry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did, did, did you know that, yeah. that Princess Anna ate spam three meals a day? Really? And that gave her the strength to love, which which thawed a frozen heart. <laughs> it's true. Spam. All credited to spam. Spam man, that, that spam man, that is amazing. Uh, I'm impressed, but the problem is that that is good, but that's not really what I need. No? No, it's not really what well, it's not really what we need either. Really? No. Um, oh. Like I, we can all fry. I can really? fry. Yeah, yeah, I can. Really? I may I not be able to jump as many fry, spam cans as you. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. I, okay. I, yeah. I, I, think I, I, I think I sense a vegetarian pizza somewhere that yeah. needs saving. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's a good man, spam man. Now, of course, the point is that, that in fact, no uh, human, if you call spam man a human, no superhero, in fact even, is enough for what we need, for the rescuing we need. Even Spam Man can't help me with my greatest need and can't help you with your greatest need. Uh, and you know what that is, don't you? It's the same, your greatest need is the same as my greatest need and that is for our sin to be dealt with. Uh, the Easter Bunny won't do it. Um, Spam Man won't do it. Uh, I can't do it, but only Jesus can. Only Jesus can actually forgive our sin. Jesus can save me, a genuine saviour, not a resuscitation, but a resurrection. Jesus can save me from that sin as I trust in him. And I know that, I know that, because he rose from the grave. Indeed, I think Jesus is the greatest superhero of all. <laughs> Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, thank you that at Easter time we can uh, celebrate that Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, we, we pray that we remember that that guarantees that Jesus truly saves and that guarantees that Jesus is who, who he said he was. And so, Father, we thank you for today. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>